We're, we're continuing on in Ephesians. Uh, we're in chapter 4. If you've been with us, then, then we've gone through the first three chapters. And if you haven't been, then we're on chapter 4. We haven't skipped over chapters 1 to 3. Um, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll just I'll read chapter 4 from verses 1 to 16. And I'll kind of explain a little bit about that after. But uh, today we're really just focusing on verses 1 to 2. Um, but I'll, again, I'll just read to you. Uh, verse 16. It's Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lowest regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Um, just come and uh, grant me clarity of mind as I, as I open it up. Grant us all humility, grant us all wisdom. Lord, as we seek to learn um, more and more about you, as we seek to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, Lord, just come and, and speak to us. Help us to know you more, Lord. Help us to, to know your word. Grant us a desire for your word. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. So once, once again, we're in, uh, we're in chapter 4, and main, the main thing to remember is that chapters 1, and three, one 2, and 3 come before chapter 4. Um, and as we've, we've kind of talked about before, there's, there's a, we're at a, a point where there's a split now. The first three chapters of Ephesians are all about our calling in Christ, about the Christian's calling, about what God has done. And now, chapters 4, 5, and 6 are all about conduct. So the first three chapters, calling. Next three chapters are about conduct. And we've come to the point where we're at the beginning of the next three chapters here in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Um, and and some, some, like me, are focused on doctrine. We love, love doctrine, love to think about hard things and have those... Um, 
in our hearts and in our minds uh, as we as we go about our days. So I, I just absolutely love the first three chapters of, of Ephesians. I love four, five, and six as well, but the first three chapters um, just get my, the embers um, in, in my soul just just glowing bright. However, there are there are some um, who actually focus on application, and and they're both good. But then there's those who would look at chapters four, five, and six and uh, just be set on fire by what Paul is talking about that we're supposed to have for our conduct. Um, so while some are excited about doctrine and what Paul is talking about regarding our calling as Christians, others are going to be um, excited about what Paul's talking about when he's talking about conduct, what we're supposed to do as Christians. Now, the issue is that to focus on one of those is an error. Um, I'll, I'll quote James Boyce here. Doctrine without practice leads to bitter orthodoxy. It gives correctness of thought without the practical vitality of the, of the life of Christ. So doctrine without practice leads to bitter orthodoxy. However, practice without doctrine leads to aberrations. It gives intensity of feeling, but it is feeling apt to go off in any, and often wrong, directions. What we need is both, as Paul's letters and the whole of Scripture teach us. We can never attach too much importance to doctrine, for it is out of the doctrines of God, the doctrines of man, and the doctrines of salvation that the direction and impetus for the living of the Christian life spring. At the same time, we can never attach too much importance to practice, for it is the result of doctrine and proof of its divine nature. So what Boyce is saying is that, if we, if we apply this to Ephesians, what Boyce is saying is that we have to pay attention to the first three. We can't put too much importance on the first three chapters because the first three chapters teach us what we should know. But we can't put too much importance on the next three chapters because they tell us how we should live out what we know. What he's arguing for and what I, what I would argue for is that right theology, right belief brings right action. And we'll see that as we go. Uh, it's, this Peter, Peter O'Brien says, Behavior, seeing in Ephesians here, behavior is thus seen as both a response to what God has done in Christ and the proper accompaniment to the praise of God. Uh, these are the, the two themes that are happening in, in Ephesians here. Behavior is thus seen in Ephesians as both response to what God has done in Christ and as the proper accompaniment um, to the praise of God. Thus, in reality, what's happening is that theology and ethics are, are intertwined. Like I said, we can't, we can't just focus on chapters 1 to 3 and leave out 4 and 6. We can't just focus on 4 and 6 and leave out 1 to 3. Theology and ethics, theology and right belief and right action are intertwined. Um, James would attest to that pretty easily. But our, our attitudes and our behaviors should flow from a right understanding of what the Bible says. So what Paul is saying here in these first two chapters, um, all of these imperatives, these things that he's telling us we need to do, flow out of what he's already said in chapters 1 to 3. I'll just recap that just quickly. Uh, if you weren't with us, then this, this will be good. But if you have, then this will hopefully be a good refresher. What we're going to do um, is kind of go through... These, these 16 verses, I'll just take a little aside here. These 16 verses we're going to go through in, in four different parts. The first part, which is today, is, is basically verses 1 to 2. 
Um, and this is where we look at what it means to work, uh, sorry, to walk worthy of our calling. So the, the first part what we're doing here is what it means to walk worthy of your calling as an individual. And then next week we'll look at what it means to walk worthy of your calling in unity with others. Next we'll look at what it, what it is to walk worthy of our calling in diversity with others. That's verses 7 to 12. And then we'll look at what it looks like to walk worthy of our calling as we grow in maturity. And that will, that will finish us off um, verses 13 to 16 or thereabouts. So what Paul is saying here, uh, we'll, start, we'll start slow, but what he's saying here is that we need to walk worthy of our calling individually, and we seek unity in there. We need to walk worthy of our calling together in unity. Then we have to walk worthy of our calling together in diversity. And then we have to walk worthy of our calling together, but growing in maturity. And the, and the really important thing here to remember is that just like we have to read Ephesians uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 to get to chapter 4. Just like we have to know the truth before that truth finds a way to be worked out. We can't get to maturity without first growing individually in Christ. Then we grow together in unity. Then we grow together in diversity. And then we grow together in maturity. We can't get to the fourth part. We can't get to verses 13 and 16 without first going through verses 1 to 12. So that's what, that's what we have over the next four weeks. So here in, in Ephesians 4, 1 to 2, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And again, the, the, the therefore is there for a, re, a reason. And that's what Paul says. And we'll kind of, I'll just recap chapters 1 to 3 quick. So again, theology and ethics are intertwined here. Our attitudes and our behaviors are going to flow out of what we know. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are coming after chapters 1, 2, and 3. So all of the imperatives that Paul is giving us from, from here on out are based on, have their foundation in chapters 1, 2, and 3. So Paul says, therefore, walk worthy, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Because you have been predestined for adoption according to God's purpose, not your own purpose. Because of this, walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Because you were dead and God made you alive through no efforts of your own. Because of that, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Because you were delivered from death and hell by grace, through faith, no, no, no thought of your own, no, no effort of your own, because God saved you, because he regenerated your heart and mind, walk in a worthy, worthy manner of your calling. Because you have been moved from darkness to light, because you have been Strangers, but are now not strangers. Because you were aliens, but are now not aliens. Because you were far off, but are now brought near by the blood of Christ. Because you have been reconciled to God. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Because God has regenerated your heart and called you to himself. Walk worthy of that calling. So how is it then that we can walk worthy of our calling? Before we get into the definition of all, all, all these words that we, uh, that we looked at, 
the first the first point is that we have to walk. We have to walk, not sit or stand or rest, but walk. The walk is the standard of the Christian life. Paul also calls it running the race, um, likens it to a boxing match, making sure that when you're boxing, you're not beating the air uh, in vain. Um, but that, but that's, that's, a different, that's a different context and a different topic. The call is to walk. Hebrews talks about our rest and how it's still to come. And that's, that's a fact. We still wage warfare. And, and we still have to fight and soldier on as, uh, um, as, as that song, that old song helps us remember. We are to walk. So the emphasis is not on what um, God has only done, but that's what Paul's been talking about in these opening chapters. But God has called us. And because he has called us, we have to move into a place where we're no longer just sitting there and God regenerates us and brings us back to life. We're on the path now and we have to walk it. It's not standing there looking at the scenery and enjoying the view um, and thanking God for what a wonderful view he's given you. The reality is it's, it's not only a great privilege, but it's great responsibility. Not only is it great privilege, for God to save us from death, to bring us alive from death. Not only is it that great privilege to be called a child of God, but it is great responsibility. Let, let me expand on that a bit. This, this, our, this is our, our, kind of flows into our second point. So the first point is that we need to walk. But the second point is that we need to walk in such a way that we are separated. Um, Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, going back um, a few weeks to when we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Paul says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he says it is in these that we once walked. We used to walk in our trespasses and sins. That's what we were dead in. So Paul is saying, this is how you used to walk, but now God has saved you. God has called you out of death and into life. So now you need to walk this other path. You used to walk this way, but now you need to walk that way. And what that means is that we're separated. We've been removed out of one, one kingdom. If you remember way back when we looked at the two kingdoms uh, and what, what Christ's death did to move us from darkness to light, God has moved us from one kingdom to another kingdom, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We've been separated from the world. We look back in, in, in Leviticus, and we see that when God called the Israelites to himself, he brought them out of uh, Egypt, brought them into the promised land, he said to them, you will be holy, separate, separated, holy, separate from the rest of the nations. You will be holy, for I am holy. We see that in 1 Peter. It's echoed for us as Christians what? Well, it's the same God. That's why. That's the easy answer. This is 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll read from verse, uh, from verse 13 to verse 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, 
Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. It's the same message from Peter. You used to do this, but now God has saved you. Now you need to do this. Not just do this, but because you used to do this and God has saved you, now do this. Be holy because the one who called you is holy. What that means is as Christians, we have, not only are we a new society of people whom God has called to himself, a new a new group of people who've been grafted in as wild olive branches, grafted into the, the covenants and promises of God. Not only are we a new society, but we have new standards. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5, uh, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, when he, he says things like, you know, you've, you've, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, if you are angry with your brother without cause, you are guilty of the same. You've heard it been said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that if you lust after somebody in your heart, then you're, as, you're guilty. It's a different levels of guilt, but again, that's another, another story. God has called us out to be holy. And so this is where our conduct comes from. What's happening is that if we are to be holy as God is holy, we are going to be separated from the world and it's going to be our character. As part of our conduct, it's going to be our character. The atheists in the world are, are wonderful moral people. They can do right things. But their characters are not going to be changed. Even the nicest atheist is still going to be doing it on his own power, under his own strength. But as Christians, we have the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us and making us more like Christ. Our characters are going to change. And so the character is what we look at because the character in, our, in us, in our hearts, in our minds, it, it is a marker of what's inside. We see this in Matthew, uh, or sorry, Mark chapter 7. It's in Matthew 15, I think, as well, but I'll go to Mark. In, Ma in Mark chapter 7, I almost said Matthew again. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is talking about what defiles a person. From verse 20 to 23, he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. What Jesus is saying is that it's not the stuff that is outside that comes in and, and defiles us, poisons us, pollutes us. It's the things that we do prove the defilement, prove the poison, prove the pollution. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. I've given a, given a lot of talks to, um, to younger, younger guys about uh, pornography and addictions. And, and one thing that is always there is the reality that pornography is just a crime of circumstance. We would lust if pornography didn't exist. That's, that's the truth of it. 
pornography is just a way to feed our lust. And so the sexual immorality isn't the pornography. The sexual immorality is the defilement from ourselves, or the pollution from ourselves that comes out and wants to, wants to lust and, and have self-pleasure in that action. And it's the same thing with anger and, and, um, and envy and jealousy and coveting and wickedness. Everything that, that we do shows what is inside and it comes from because it comes from inside. So what Paul says in Galatians 5.22 as well, where he's talking about uh, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh come from, from inside of us. It's not something that is outside that comes in and, and poisons us. We do it because we're poisoned from the inside. And we've looked at this before where we don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. There, there is a huge difference there. So we're, it's, it's about character. And this is what, this is what we're looking at is the Christian's character. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And so to walk worthy of our calling means to have our character resemble these principles. To have our character not look like the rest of the world. To not be so focused on not doing something, but see the realization that if we do something, it just reflects what's on the inside. This brings us to our, our third point. We want to walk worthy of our calling. To be a Christian in character not just confession. We want to be a Christian in character and not just confession. What that means is we don't want to just profess the name of Jesus. We want to show the truth that, that Christ has come into our lives and has changed us. That we don't walk like the rest of the world. That we don't walk like everybody else. That the things that everybody else cares about, we don't give a rip about that the things that upset other people, that make them afraid, don't make us afraid and don't upset us. To walk worthy of your calling means to be a Christian in character, not just in confession. This is the details that we have in Ephesians chapter 4. Humility, gentleness, Patience, long-suffering, or bearing with one another in love. First, humility. And the reality is, I'm, I'm amazed at my own pride. And I, I'm disgusted by my own pride because I know what Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 say. And so the first thing Paul says is, walk worthy of your calling and be humble. And I know in my own heart I'm not humble. But how, and this is what disgusts me about my pride, how can there be room for pride when we've been saved by grace? Knowing what's in chapters 1, 2, and 3, how can there be any room for pride? Everybody has an issue with it or else Paul wouldn't be talking about it here. If we were all humble and, and none of us had any issues with pride, then Paul wouldn't be talking about it here. 
So what's a, what's a way that we can do that? What, that? What's a way to be humble other than just knowing, you know, the first three chapters of Ephesians? What's, what's, what's a way to be humble? Well, Paul helps us in, um, in Philippians 2. Paul, Paul kind of lays out the easiest way to be humble, not in practice, but in knowledge, and to then live out that knowledge. So in Ephesians 2, uh, the heading, the pericope in, in my in my uh, Bible here kind of gives it away, but it's the pericope title is Christ's Example of Humility. And so Paul gives us the great example. This is verse 3. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So to walk in humility, first and foremost, to look at Christ, obviously. We'll say second. To look at to, to live in humility. Secondly, I'll, we'll get to the first point in a sec. To live in humility means to count others as more significant than yourself. To place yourself in the lowest room at the feast. To take the meanest room, as in the lowest room at the feast. To look at everyone else and say they are more significant than I am. They are not better in a sense of competition, but they are just better than I am. Count others more significant than yourselves. Do not look on your own interests, but on the interests of others. And then Paul says, have this mind in you. This is our first, this is our, our, our first, our first point. The second one, the second, um, Secondarily, the, the, the second most important point was to think others more significant than ourselves. The most important way to be humble is Philippians 2.5. Have this mind in yourselves. Get this in your thick skull, Jason. That's what I say to myself. Get this in your thick skull. Figure it out. Get it down into your heart. Let it stir around a bit and then walk. Have this mind among yourselves. This mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Let, if you want to be humble, let this mind be in you. The mind of Christ, who humbled himself and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to the point of death. How many of us are willing and ready to be there? How many of us are 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 willing to be obedient to the point of death for Christ. Next is, is gentleness, meekness in, in the King James. Um, I'll, I'll quote Pierre O'Brien here. Gentleness, um, and this kind of goes back to the ancient idea of what humility uh, and, and gentleness and kind of meekness were. They weren't looked at as something good uh, in the ancient world. 
humble humility and meekness were looked at as, as weakness. Um, lowliness was looked at as weakness because you want to have power. You want to be the guy who has it all. Um, so somebody acting in a, a humble way or a serving way was always uh, looked at with disdain. This gentleness is not to be confused with weakness as contemporary Greco-Roman thought regarded it, but has to do with consideration for others as a willingness to waive one's rights. And this is why it fits in with humility. And this is why Paul calls himself a prisoner. He knows he's been bought by the blood of Christ. He's no longer his own. Christ gave himself up for death, becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross, no less. And so to be, to be humble and to be gentle, it has to do with consideration for others and a willingness to waive one's rights. So John Stott, gentleness is the absence of disposition to assert personal rights, either in the presence of God or men. So if we think about that and we think about our own lives and compare them to the life of Christ, to the humility and the gentleness or meekness of Christ, and we ask ourselves, how often am I asserting my own personal rights? Not only just to men, but to God. How often am I complaining to God about not having my rights fulfilled, about losing my liberties, about having to wear a mask? to go into the store, about having to close our church services. How often am I asserting my own personal rights? And we see Christ as our great example again. The humility and the meekness come together. When we look at Matthew 11, what does Jesus say in Matthew 11? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why? Because his, his yoke is easy or good. His yoke is good and his burden is kind. His burden is light. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Then we, again, we see, we can go back to Philippians, but it's, it's there in our minds. Next is, is Patience. And just as uh, humility and gentleness or, or meekness kind of come together, patience and the next one, bearing with one another in love, also come together because in order to bear with one another, you need, you need patience. So patience um, just basically has to do with, with enduring suffering, enduring the trials. Um, uh, Romans 5.3, it's a bit different in the King James, but uh, in ESV it's called, uh, it's, it's endurance or, or steadfastness. Um, is a word for it, but Romans, Romans 5.3 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. The King James um, translates this as patience. So we have this, this reality that suffering produces patience, the idea to endure. So patience isn't just sitting, waiting for something to happen. Remember, it's a Christian walk, not a Christian sit down and wait. It's a Christian walk. And as we're walking, we're growing in endurance. We're growing in what the Bible calls long-suffering or patience. Uh, we, we see uh, the, the Lord is, is patient with us, long-suffering. 
that, that's the idea. He's, he's long-suffering with our sin. He, uh, he's not willing any to perish, but is long-suffering. Uh, Peter talks about how um, God's, God's, God's being patient with us, willing, uh, not wanting anyone to, to perish, but wanting everybody to repent. So he's, he's, he's long-suffering, um, just, just how God is with us. And then in, in endurance, as we're walking and, and growing in endurance, growing in long-suffering, growing in patience, we bear one another's burdens. We bear with one another. What this is, is patience toward each other. Not just patience and long-suffering and endurance with the things of life and the circumstances in life, but with each other as fellow believers. It's patience toward each other. And, and it does has, this doesn't have to do with sin. Blatant sin is different. As Paul says in um, Galatians 6.1, that if there's, there's somebody who's caught in sin, has to be has to be dealt with. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself, etc., etc. What he's saying is that if somebody's in sin, we need to do something about it. He's not saying here, okay, we'll just be patient with their sin and they'll come out of it. No, no, he's saying we need to deal with it. What this is talking about is not so much sin, but just with issues that come up. The reality is, is that as as sinners, as people who are not yet perfect in Christ, we all have issues. Um, we all have different levels of spiritual maturity. And in that, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of thorns in the side. Um, so have you ever been wronged? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been wronged by a fellow believer? Wronged. Not, not in a sinful way, like blatant sin, but wronged or suffered unloving conduct by someone that you thought should be loving you as a Christian? Have you ever suffered unloving conduct from another Christian, somebody who should be loving you? Paul's answer for us is to endure such things, be patient with such things, endure those issues, endure those sufferings, be long-suffering, endure them. Says Peter O'Brien, as believers bear with one another's weaknesses and failures in the midst of tensions and conflicts, they show a lifestyle that is consistent with their divine calling. If we got upset at every little thing that, that somebody did, or every big thing that somebody did, we're not living consistent with our divine calling. We're not showing the endurance that Christ has given us. And it shows. It shows in the world. It shows in this town. A small town like this. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody's weaknesses and issues and burdens and sins. Patience, says O'Brien to finish off the quote, patience is that long-suffering which makes allowance for others' shortcomings and endures, there's that word again, endure, and endures wrong rather than flying into a rage or desiring vengeance. Bearing with one another means that when somebody's a jerk, you bear it instead of being a jerk back. Instead of repaying evil for evil, instead of repaying barb for barb, you take it and you repay evil with good you repay barbs with grace.
This is the fruit of the Spirit. These are the graces that we should exhibit as Christians. Paul exhorts us to walk worthy of our calling, which means to search our hearts, to test ourselves, to examine ourselves, to see whether we are in this faith, whether we are growing in Christian character. Asking ourselves whether or not we exhibit these marks of a Christian. Whether or not we are walking worthy of our calling. And the logic is, if we are not acting in this way, here in Ephesians, as, as well as uh, Galatians 5. So here in Ephesians 1 and Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Ephesians 4, sorry, chapter uh, verse 1. If we are not acting this way, then we are not walking worthy of our calling. If we are not acting with humility and gentleness, if we are not acting with patience and bearing uh, with one another, if we are not doing those things, we are not walking worthy of our calling. Wrong behavior betrays wrong theology. If we are not walking humbly, with gentleness, if we are not walking with patience, if we are not bearing with one another in love, what that shows is that the, the first three chapters haven't really hit home in our hearts and minds. We may know what they say, but they haven't really taken root in us. The answer is not to ignore chapters 1, 2, and 3 and try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's to get on our knees and repent. And pray that the Lord opens up our minds to chapters 1, 2, and 3 so that we have that right knowledge. Sinks down and stirs around in our soul and, and then we live it out to grow in sanctification. The idea of a Christian who isn't growing is foreign to the New Testament. The idea of a Christian who isn't loving others, who isn't submitting to others, who isn't thinking that others are more significant than themselves, who isn't walking humbly, isn't, is foreign to the New Testament. What this means is that as Christians, we need to weed and to feed the garden. Ephesians 2.10 says that all the works that we're supposed to do have already been created. We've been created in Christ Jesus, and God has prepared works for us to do. Beforehand, before we were even saved, he's created works for us to do. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 say that we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who's already worked in us. And that's the mystery of the Christian faith. The first three chapters of Ephesians, monergistic. God says, I am doing this. I will do this up to this point. I will come and I will regenerate you. I will breathe life into your dry and dead bones. I will raise you from the dead by grace and grace alone. And then it's synergistic. Then God says, now that I have regenerated you and you have faith, now walk. Walk worthy of your calling. The first three chapters are God at work. And then the next three chapters, as we see here, is us at work with God's power. If you call yourself a Christian and you are not growing, 
or living in a continual state of sin, there's probably a good chance you're not a Christian. If there are weeds in the garden, instead of trees that bear fruit, you're in danger because you might not actually be in Christ. Remember, you need to weed and feed your garden. And many, as Christians, many of our gardens are so weeded over that you can't see anything. You can't even see the fruit trees if there are any. You can't even see the fruit on the trees if there is any. The, tr the trees, to run with the analogy, the trees are, are being taken over by the weeds. That they can't even grow fruit. And there's so many Christians in this world that, that have gardens that are just choked with weeds. And we need to weed and feed our gardens. When we have Christ in us, we will fight against sin. We will fight. And, and our consciences will burn us when we don't line up to these principles. When we realize that we're acting with pride instead of humility, our consciences will burn us. When we realize that we're not acting with patience and long-suffering towards other Christians, our consciences will burn us. Someone who has Christ in them will be burned by their conscience about their sin. Something in their heart will trouble them. But conversely, someone who has made peace with their sin shows the signs of not having Christ in them. Someone who has made peace with their sin shows signs of their gardens being overgrown with weeds of not having been planted by the gardener. As Paul says here, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And that's our, that's our call. To be holy, to be separate, to look different than the world, to be salt, to be light. Why? Because he who called you is holy. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for calling us to yourself, Lord, for drawing us in to Christ regenerating our hearts, for, for granting us life out of death, for granting us reprieve, Lord, from, just from the burden of sin. We just thank you. Help us all to walk worthy of the calling that you've called us to, Father. Help us to walk as Christ walked. Help us to bear one another's burdens. Convict us of our sin, Lord. Make us more like Jesus. Help us to be the church in this broken and dark town. Help us to be salt and light. Help us to be examples of the supernatural work of Christ in our lives. Instead of just looking and talking and acting like everybody else. Lord, help us. Come. Lord, please come. We thank you that even in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our mistakes, in the midst of sin, Lord, in the midst of our 
multitude of sins. Uh, Your grace covers it. That when we repent, Lord, we are washed clean in the blood of Christ. So come, Lord, and wash us. Bring us to a place of repentance. Bring us to a place where we are living for you instead of living for self. Lord, come. Come for your name's sake, Lord, and for your glory. In Christ's name and for his sake, Lord, we pray and we ask these things. Amen. Finish with uh, with number six, uh, the ironic benediction. And we've gone over it before, so I won't go over it again. But it's just so poignant um, and and heart melting. Just just um, just what it means to have the Lord's name upon you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying." Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And thus shall I bless my people Israel. Thus shall they put my name on them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in peace. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Embers in the Dark. I hope it was edifying and that, that it was able to help you grow in the knowledge of the truth. Have a good week.